Queer Relationships, an IM clinic podcast devoted to helping you, the LGBTQ plus community, create the love lives and relationships you crave. And I call her back and I'm like, Grandma, she's like, you know, I gave it some thought. You just have a lot of love. That's why you like boys and girls. Mm. You have a lot of love. And that was her response. I thought I was going to die those 15 minutes because she's loved my life. And I was like, oh, my God. Uh-huh. But that's what she said is you have a lot of love. So I would tell my younger Jenny or any young bisexual person, you just have a lot of love. That's all it is. Hi, welcome to Queer Relationships. My name is Isaac Archuleta, and I am super honored to have today's guest on the show. Yes, she's my cousin. But more than that, her story of resilience is incredibly inspiring. In today's episode, we get to learn from someone who started off working in 7-Elevens and Pizza Hut and ended up being part of the Obama administration. Leaving behind poverty and getting both a master's degree and a law degree, Jenny shares her story of overcoming obstacles with confidence and supportive role models. You'll be inspired by her story, and trust me, you'll laugh along the way. I hope you enjoy. Let's take a listen. I think it's pretty fascinating talking to you about it because you're my little cousin Mm -hmm. and I'm the first granddaughter. Uh So I think for me, my resilience was coming from the women in my life, my mom Mm -hmm. and grandma, Mm -hmm. our grandmother, Grandma Mary. For sure. Um, seeing her, you know, she raised nine kids. I can't. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much by herself, you know, with, with grandpa had his, his, you know, alcohol problems and things like that. So she mm. was left with the kids by herself. <clears throat> so because of grandma and, 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 being her first grandchild, I was at her hip all the time. Mm. So I saw everything. Um, she com- confided in me, like we shared stories. She was my confidant. I could tell her anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so she really shaped me. And, you know, watching how hardworking she was for years, she cleaned in the hospitals. I don't know if you knew that. She was janitorial staff and in the uh, emergency room. And that's how she worked at nights to feed her kids and that's what she did mm-hmm. yeah i think when i arrived on the scene they had the restaurant the mexican restaurant on santa fe yes some of my first memories grandma yep um her and my mom did that with uncle dave mm-hmm. and um it was it was a difficult time i went to work at pizza hut <laughs> <laughs> Too many people in the kitchen. So I I wanted my own space, you know. As you kind of started taking your own steps and becoming your own person and um, through high school and college and graduate school, what were some of the blocks that you experienced? That's a good question. I think for me, coming from my my grandma, mother and my mom they always told me you could be and do whatever you want mm. you just have to work mm-hmm. you know the mexican work ethic you work hard mm-hmm. have two jobs you know mm-hmm. just work 
So I think what a big block for me was navigating these new places. Mm-hmm. You know, grandma, she, she didn't graduate high school. My mom went to the ninth grade. My dad didn't graduate high school. So for me, just being in the unknown, like I didn't have anyone else who had finished high school. Um, but no one in my family had gone to college. Um, I have a law degree and a master's degree. And I think part of it was always feeling like someone let me in here. <laughs> I'm going to stay, you know, like I never felt like I have friends who they talked about college life or their futures at a dinner table. And that was their dialogue. Like that was normal. And for me, um, someone said, you need a scholarship when I was in the 10th grade. And I was like, what is a scholarship? Mm-hmm. Like I had no point of reference. Mm-hmm. So for me, I think the hardest was just navigating a whole new world by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, aside from being Latina, aside from being a woman, beside of um, having, you know, gay ideas, but not really knowing that that's what they were, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was just navigating this whole life by myself. I feel like I'll kind of share my experience because I'm wondering if we resonate a little bit, but it was almost like I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. You know, and I was kind of like experiencing all of these things inside about my sexual orientation, but then I was watching all these white people like flow through the world thinking like, what kind of rocket booster did they get that I didn't get? And how are they doing this so easily? And like, whoa, wait a second. I don't know a lot of stuff. What the hell's happening here? Yeah. Exactly. Like something so fundamental. When I went to college, I didn't know how people got their books for classes. Like nobody told me that. Mm-hmm. And I we, I went to orientation and I was just like, okay, how do I know what book is for what class? Mm-hmm. Like there was literal zero point of reference. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, just things like that. Um, apart from gay ideas, <laughs> you, you know, not. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And obviously, as you've mentioned, being Latina and female, like yeah. that, I mean, this is like, how did it feel to approach the world from this context? Like, I feel like you'd have to pick up like this armor every day or like this courage or <laughs> you'd need like 12 yeah. hours of sleep to get through the day with all these questions. If If there was... If there is, let's say, a young Latina, 16 years old, a junior in high school, if you could kind of help her fill up her emotional backpack for the day that she might need to be prepared, and if you maybe could show her some things that were in your emotional backpack to approach these challenges, to be confident, to be courageous, what do you? What did you arm yourself with every day? So... If I was talking to a young person who's having a hard time today, mm-hmm. I would say, just take a deep breath because a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, five years from now, you will not remember this moment. Mm-hmm. It's hard right now, mm-hmm. but in a few, and give it some time and it will get easier. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, if you want something, work backwards. Mm -hmm. I want to go to law school. What do I need for that? So I figured it out. Like you have to take the LSAT. You know, you have to have good grades in undergrad. You have to have extracurricular activities. 
to prove that you're a candidate. You have to write a viable statement. Okay, I knew these things. Mm -hmm. So work backwards. Find your goal. Create the steps that you need to get by working backwards. Mm -hmm. And then do it one step at a time. Mm -hmm. One step at a time. Mm -hmm. Because literally, like, you know, if I was able to do it and navigate all these different worlds and, you know, work for President Obama, um, live in D.C., um, work for a governor, work for a senator, a U.S. congressman. You just have to, if I'm able to do it, anybody can. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm picture, I'm the poster child. Like, if Jenny could do it, I can too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, honestly, I do. I want to kind of just acknowledge kind of your role in my life. I remember when I was going from high school to college and it was just, you know, from Commerce City to Boulder, it was a short car ride, but I remember getting there and unpacking this room and thinking like, oh God, I'm not going home. Like I'm staying here. And my roommates were, we had this really cool apartment in the dorm, but it was with three white guys. And I remember thinking like, I have no idea how to function in this world. And I always remember thinking, if Jenny and my other cousin Joseph can do it, I can do it too. <laughs> and it was like all of these like moments where it's like, I am ready to buckle and just to give in and choose a different path. And knowing that you had taken the path before me was seriously encouraging. Your example truly helped me take those steps when I didn't think I could. For sure. So Ooh, thank I, you. I had no idea. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <clears throat> you start um you start living in your own tunnel. Like mm-hmm. you don't know who you're influencing when you're influencing. I never imagined that you even thought of me going to school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like you just never know your your sphere mm-hmm. of of going to school and, and what it's like. Yeah. Absolutely. I know you had your mom and grandma kind of encouraging you say that you could become anything you wanted i would imagine though you had to have believed that for yourself yes where did you yeah like if if the world was an obstacle course right like one little challenge and you jump over the hurdle and you're like holy cow i can do that what how what did you see in yourself that gave you the confidence you could move forward well i i i think the, the biggest thing for me was I was surrounded by aunts and uncles and just life being normal. Like we grew up in Swansea, which is like a lower income area in Denver, Colorado, you know, mm-hmm. it's not the best area. And that was my world. Uh, other than I went to 12 different schools by the time I graduated high school, oh, Wow, 12, because um, my parents divorced and my mom uh, got together with my, my brother's uh, dad, my stepdad, and they would get together and break up and get together and break up. And every breakup caused a move. Hmm. So I didn't have like one, one home base other than my mom and my grandmother. Mm-hmm. But what I did have, and anybody could have it, is the ability to read. Mm-hmm. I was tenacious about reading anything and everything. And I think that's what was in me that allowed me to see another world. I would read about Paris. I would read about, you know, fictional characters who who lived in South Africa, or I would, 
you know, pick up a book and, oh, there's a world out there. Today's today's reading is TikTok, I think. Because <laughs> young people are like, that person lives in New York. Look what they do in New York, right? So they're substituting reading. What I have reading is TikTok in today's kind of thing. But I think for me, my love for reading books is what helped me get through everything. Because then I could read what what do I I have a funny story, actually. So yeah. my dad, he's he's mostly Spanish speaking. Mm-hmm. And when I was 11, we went to the secondhand store so he could buy some work pants. He was a, a mechanic for um, a foundry. So he made giant metal parts and he'd tear through his jeans. So he's like, here's 10 dollars, mija. Ve, comprate algo. You know, here's $10, go buy something. So I took that $10 and I went to the book section. All the books were 10 cents each, right? So I had 10 bucks. So I hurried up, grabbed all these books, went and paid for them. And they gave me like a garbage bag. And when I was in the car, I was like tearing off all the covers of all these books because I was 11 years old and I bought romance novels, $10 worth for the summer reading nasty books. (laughs) I would have gotten so much trouble if you saw the sexy covers. So that. That summer, I learned some things that child should not be be learning. But that was so fascinating that like reading was not part of my parents' normal. So they didn't care or even supervise what I was reading. So I was having, that was my freedom. Like, so much to learn. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's why I didn't get caught. So I was like. A good story. I still haven't told them even. I won't tell them because <laughs> they'll still yell at me for doing for it. For sure. <laughs> That's a hot and steamy summer in more ways than one. <laughs> oh, I had so much fun because I knew it was so taboo. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure. How fun. <laughs> what an entrance to the world. The adult. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what is that? And then I would look up what that meant. You know, my little dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Still was a nerd. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I, a couple of, this is kind of piggybacking off of what you're saying here, but a couple of months ago, Joe and I took the train from Denver to Winter Park and <clears throat> um, we were going to go snowshoeing and we were kind of looking around where we were going to go. So we had our phones out and this place pops up, Devil's Ranch, um, Devil's Thumbs Ranch. We're like, I've never heard of this. So we called the place and this guy comes and picks us up. And it's like this luxury hotel, like in the middle of the mountains. It was so pretty. But I remember walking in there and this was just literally like two months ago. And it was weird to feel like I belonged there. It was like I was in someone else's culture, someone else's world, almost like I had asked for permission to drink the free water and ask a clerk something like, can I ask you something? Am I okay here? And I feel like a lot of Latinx people, we don't know that we can even be courageous about our, or curious about our world because sometimes it yeah. doesn't feel like our own. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. I think that's part of our humilde, our being humble. We mm-hmm. were raised to be humble, not prideful and um, grateful. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. We've been raised to be grateful. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that being grateful and being humble is in conflict with the culture who was not raised that those are primary moral bounds that we should live by. Mm-hmm. So that being humble sometimes is juxtaposed to the environment and the people that you're with. And they take, they take that um, nature that we have mm-hmm. as uh as a, a reason that maybe we're less or we're not as important or that we're um, and ironically kind of innocent, you know, like, Oh, they don't know what they're doing, whatever, mm-hmm. but they forget that we're actually Latinas, Latino, mm-hmm. Latino X, mm-hmm. where we come from warriors and we're fierce mm-hmm. and we may look calm and humble on the inside, but we're, we're from generations of people who have struggled. Like mm-hmm. our family, we're migrant workers. Mm-hmm. You know, we're direct descendants from potato pickers. Mm-hmm. So um, on, on, our, on our family side, not my dad's side, but um, I think sometimes we're put in, in environments where people don't recognize that from, from our community. Mm-hmm. Um, we're tenacious. We'll take it and we'll take it. We'll deal with it. We'll, we'll hold on. You know, we'll take that hardship and take it. But at one point we'll explode. Mm-hmm. And that's what thing I think our generation has to learn is controlling that explosion mm-hmm. and controlling that idea that we have to take it and take it and take it to the point we explode mm-hmm. where, the, where there's things and people that we should have boundaries for during this stage. So mm-hmm. we don't get volatile to this stage, but if we do, we need to control this explosion right you know if, if we would talk it out or um set our boundaries not for them the mm-hmm. boundaries are not for other people the boundaries are for us and what we're willing to accept and take because mm-hmm. you can't change the other person you could only change what you're willing to accommodate or not accommodate and i think when i was younger i didn't have that i felt like i was i should be honored to be here I should be, I'm lucky to be in the room and that's not the case. Mm-hmm. And anymore, you know, I do not, I do not flaunt. Um, you could ask my wife, like, I do not flaunt that. I have the education that I have. Mm-hmm. I don't talk about it. I don't bring it up. Most of the time I just say I'm a photographer. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't let people know that I lived in DC and what I did there mm-hmm. um, because they change, they change. Um, and they change uh, one time. At one point, they're in awe, but then the next level is competition. Hmm. And I think that's natural instinct for people to feel competitive. It's like, how does little, short, you know, curvy Latina get these experiences? Mm-hmm. You know, it must be affirmative action. Mm-hmm. You know, it must be this. There's always a must be. Mm-hmm. No, I worked my butt off. Mm-hmm. I worked my butt off and I gave up having children. I gave up being around my family. Mm-hmm. Um watching my nieces and nephews grow up, um, spending time with my grand, I, I sacrificed mm-hmm. to, to get to have the experiences that I wanted. It wasn't someone gave it to me. No, you know, I fought for it mm-hmm. and I, I had to fight to stay, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, you know. I do think it's interesting and it even makes me a little angry to think that people become competitive or discredit all of that work because it really diminishes your strength, your capacity, but also, I mean, serious inequity, like serious inequity. Well, it, it does if I let them, you know, like um, it, 
it, I don't tell people so that they don't feel uncomfortable. You know, I, I've, I've interacted with people who, who cannot read or they can't write. And I don't have to let them know that, you know, what kind of education I've had or what I've done. And, and, and then there's people who were born and raised here who have strong family uh, parents who live together generational. Um, uh, I have a cousin on my dad's side who just started Harvard law school this year. Wow. Right. So um, he was, he was contemplating like, where should I go? Cause th- there was other places offering and they consulted with me and I was like, well, why don't you, why wouldn't Harvard be your first choice? And I, and he was going through the same identity. Mm-hmm. Like, That's Harvard. I'm like, you've been invited. You got an invite. Mm-hmm. They want you there. And part of what we need to recognize is that competition that people have with us. It's not us. Mm-hmm. It's their issue. They made life choices that were best for them at that time. I made life choices that were best for me at that time. And because of those differences, I went one route and they went another. There's not a competition. I don't feel competitive with other people and I don't acknowledge when they're competitive with me. I just kind of move on. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, I don't engage. It's not my fight. It's Mm -hmm. them with themselves. Sounds like you, I, I'm from like a clinical lens. I'm wondering if your ability to do that is because not only maybe believing in yourself, but just this confidence in your ability, maybe your professional gravitas, but even just kind of maybe not a, around what you've accomplished, but just in who you are. I think part of it is I'm finally happy. You know, there's, there's certain pivotal times in my life where I was like, stress was taken out. I'll give you a funny story. Like um, one of our aunts and uncles were c- coming to live with grandma again mm-hmm. as adults. Right. And uh, I don't know if everyone knows Isaac's story, but we come from a family of who like to partake in recreational things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. we, we do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was another time when an, a relative was moving back as an adult with my grandmother and she was frustrated because they were in a hard place she couldn't help them they wouldn't help themselves she didn't know what to do and I was sitting there just listening to the exchange and she looks at me and she says out of the blue she's like you know you don't have to have children if you don't want to and I looked at her like really I don't Mm -hmm. she goes no she goes look what happens when you have them they keep coming back (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, for her, she was just making like a frustration declaration. She was just frustrated. And to me, my world went. Oh, I'm sure. I don't have to make enchiladas or have babies. Uh-huh. <laughs> Life is good. Like, uh-huh. so from that moment, being a young Latina person, not thinking that my destiny was to birth some children, you know, and be a good mother. Like I honor people who could do that. That's the hardest job in the entire world is being a parent. And I, I chose not to do that other than my four fur babies. But um, that was a pivotal moment in my life because no one had ever told me I didn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, so that that was one. And another one was I can go to college if I wanted to, mm-hmm. you know, 
that was another, like, what is college? How do I get to go there? Mm-hmm. That was a pivotal time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. So, yeah. That, that confidence is not always in my best interest, though. You know, I could, I've ha- definitely had failures from it um, uh, professionally. So I, I could give you a quick story. I was, I, my best friend right now today is someone I worked for in U.S. Uh, Senator Salazar's office. Her name is Joan. Mm-hmm. And she was his scheduler. And I w- did my internship with her. And she, hard worker, the best. Scheduling is so difficult. So I worked there for a while. Mm-hmm. And then I went off and became legislative director for a U.S. congressman. I left that office and I went somewhere else. And I was pretty happy. I was the legislative director. I had five people under me. We were writing the laws, writing amendments. You know, I was working with a congressman, helping him with his votes, navigate committees. And I get this telephone call um, from someone from the Department of Interior asking me if I wanted to be a political appointee for President Obama. And I said, what would I do? And they were like, well, you would join Joan in the scheduling team. And I said, nope. No, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. They're like, we'll offer you this much if you come. I'm like, no, thank you. I, I don't want to do scheduling. Mm-hmm. And um, so then they call me back a week later and raise the, the amount, right? Because it's based on the G scale and how many degrees I had. They were like, well, you will make this much if you come. I'm like, no, I don't want to be a scheduler because I'm a legislative director. And they're like, you would be a presidential appointee. I'm like, nope, not going to do it. Mm-hmm. So. Well, then two years later, they call me back because Joan is still there. You know, Salazar was still secretary for President Obama. And they call me back and they're like, we want to reach out. I'm like, no, no, I don't want to be a scheduler. I'm not going to do that. And they're like, no, you can be part of the advance team. And I was like, what's advance? I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. They're like, you travel in advance of the secretary, facilitate all his meetings, interactions. You help the team who's going and you help with all the logistics, your logistics person. And I was like, when you say travel in advance, what does that mean? Because mm-hmm. I've never heard of that career. Like, I didn't know that was a thing. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, if he goes to New York, you go first. If he goes to Texas, you go first. If he goes out of the country, you go first. I set it all up and welcome him and show him where to go. And I'm like, yeah, I could do that. I can, I can do that. But mm-hmm. how many people would say no to be a, a presidential appointee? The first time I was like, no, I don't want to do that. That sometimes being overconfident, because now looking back, I was like, what was wrong with me? (laughs) Why why did I take that job? Like overconfidence could be a problem, you know, too, Mm -hmm. because I should have, I should have like, again, I didn't have anyone to to call and say, what, you know, is this a good idea? Like who, who did I have to talk to about nobody? Like, I didn't know that was a bad decision on my part. <laughs> Absolutely, for sure. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking of like the classic silver spoon scenario here. Like when you're used to eating from an aluminum spoon and it doesn't taste very good and someone hands you a silver spoon, but you don't know what the heck silver is and you think it's aluminum, you're like, no. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm very comfortable here. I'm very comfortable. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know what I don't know. Yeah. And so I'm good. I've reached yeah. the top. And then we're like, oh, there's another level. <laughs> I didn't Luckily, God was like thunking me in the head. Like, <laughs> you're going to go work over there. You know, yeah. he kept trying. And God 
helped direct me to go. So mm-hmm. I ended up being advanced staff and it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Hardest job in the whole world, but it I was fantastic. Imagine. I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I, I find myself um, thinking about our family. I remember the first time I went to Europe or um, some of the restaurants I'm in or some of the experiences I'm living through. And I think, gosh, if my cousins could see what I'm seeing right now, this is, it's just not a part of the world we come from. Not at all. At all. We didn't restaurants. We didn't stay at hotels. No, um, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> there, there were times we ran out of food mm-hmm. and we would go to grandma's house on Sunday and eat beans and frijoles. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like she had all the big food, but we would go over there. Mm-hmm. And I remember my mom using her credit card to buy me clothes at JC Penney's because mm-hmm. she thought I, she wanted me to fit in in school. Mm-hmm. But it took her the whole year to pay that off sure. for my school clothes. Mm-hmm. Or did you go on your senior high school trip? I did. Yeah. Was that like a mind blown? Like okay. what young person goes on a trip? Mm-hmm. My mom used her tax dollars to send me mm-hmm. her tax refund. Yeah. My parents sold their house to pay for my freshman year of college. Yeah. It was crazy. I mean, just like the gratitude of like, yeah. How? Why? <laughs> like, am I so, really worth that? <laughs> you're worth it. You are worth that. My mom took a second job as a dental assistant on Saturdays so I could make it. Meanwhile, I was already working two dog, two jobs in college. I worked on campus work study and then I worked at 7-Eleven on the weekend by grandma's house. Uh-huh. And then on my mom took a second job because I casually told her that I'm saving up money because our roommates, the four roommates in college would take turns buying pizza for each other. Mm. So my mom worked a Saturday job to get $50 so I could have paid money to have my pizza turn. Wow. Can you believe that? Like, because she wanted, she was always really into, she was more concerned if I fit in than I was. And I think that was very helpful. <laughs> I, you know, I did not care, but she was really concerned that I fit in. Uh-huh. And I'm glad she did because I kind of didn't. <laughs> so she kind of helped. But yeah, it's, I think, a poverty at our level where it didn't feel like we were poor. But what, now that we're older, we can compare what we do. You know, I look at my career and everything that I've been fortunate enough to experience and build. And I look at the team that we have and we're so lucky. And it's fascinating to me. It almost feels like a different life. You know, like you earned it, you you worked for it, you sacrificed and you suffered. Yes. So Uh (laughs) (laughs) you you earned it. You you did the work. And I, I don't know if your listeners or your people if they could really understand where you and I came from, we came from a lot of sickness. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of relatives that are sick and, and we emerged from that environment Mm -hmm. and that's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. You should be very proud of yourself, Isaac. Yeah. Cause you did. Cause it was either toxic from addiction or toxic from religion. Mm-hmm. we had the both you right. know mm-hmm. so you should be very proud of yourself I mean you did it how does that feel for you to look back do you 
I'll share this first. I feel like in some of the places that I've gone, like grad school, college, in many ways, it felt like I had to leave behind who I was to, to code switch, to mm. make sure I was playing the role. Um, and I feel like there's, it took a long time for me to reclaim those pieces of me that I tucked yeah. away so that I could navigate certain situations. Um, and I regret doing that. But like you said, I, I didn't know. I didn't know how else to move and what else to yeah. do, you know? Yeah. 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 I, I that code switching is, is very much, um, it's good though, too, because like my wife, she's very confident in her, herself mm-hmm. and we, I get to just be me with her. You know, she's not, we grew up kind of the same and I could be comfortable. So I don't have to be on the code switching, how you say it. Mm-hmm. So, and um, I think in other relationships that I had, like with my marriage before, I did have to hold myself back. You know, I did have to, um, I, I don't know what the good word to say is like, not be all who I wanted to be. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, like you filtered yourself kind of? I filtered myself quite a bit because he was a very sad person. He he wasn't mean or anything. He just was sad. So my role with him was to make him laugh. Mm-hmm. To this day, we could talk to each other on the phone. And first thing I do is crack a joke with him. Like, mm-hmm. um, And I was with him for 10 years of my whole youth part. And then after a while, because I had that at home, mm-hmm. um. I didn't have to do the code switching outside. So because I was holding myself back of who I was in in my home environment, I got, when I wasn't home, I was me and take it or leave it, like it or not. That's, that's who I was. I made mistakes. I offended people, you know, and people took advantage of my kindness and, and all that wonderful stuff. Like, I don't think none of that was bad. I think it was all who shaped who I was. And I learned from it, you know, kind of like a mouse in a labyrinth. You go the wrong way, you hit, you go somewhere else. Oh, that didn't work. Let me try this way. That mm-hmm. didn't work. Let me try this way. Um, I don't know. I just, I just didn't have to do that as often. Like I, I was on a path and I had a goal and I was going to get there. There was the only one, and I'll tell you a quick, funny story. I was out of place where I felt completely out of place was my boss, Congressman Baca had to go to a meeting with Speaker Pelosi. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a members only meeting, but him being Latino. Mm-hmm. Oh, just find your way in there. You'll, you'll be okay. <laughs> you know, he, and I'm like, sir, they're not going to let me in. He's like, just go, go and take notes and tell me what I missed. So I was like, okay, <laughs> my boss told me to. So I go in and I find the spot behind the door. So the doors open, there was a seat like right behind it. So I'm sitting right behind it. And at that moment, it's, the room starts filling with members of Congress coming in. No one's really paying attention because I'm just a staffer. They don't know who I'm that. And they start discussing world situations, world strategy, political strategy. And I'm there. And at that moment, I was like, if my boss trusts me enough to sit in this meeting with 
all these people. What is my problem? Mm-hmm. So I close the door. I'm sitting front and center in front of the door and I'm taking notes mm-hmm. for them all to see. I didn't hide. They can't say they didn't know I was there. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, he, he says I could be here. So I'm going to be here. So mm-hmm. I closed the door, came from out of hiding. And so I guess the short story sh- short is I've surrounded myself with people who believed in me and mm-hmm. gave me chances and gave me confidence when I didn't think I had it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't always a battle or fighting for my space. Um, there's been great humanity. I have had fantastic people in my life who've helped guide and shape me, maybe without even knowing, just me watching them. Mm-hmm. And for him to have that confidence that I, this low legislative director has a right to be in the room with these elected officials, the speaker of the house, mm-hmm. then I'm going to enjoy it. I crossed my legs with my high heels on and started taking notes, flipping my hair. Like mm-hmm. it was too much. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I felt I was there, you know, I had my, my place. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's, that's the thing. We limit ourselves. Like who, who said we don't fit in? For sure. Back, back to that statement that what grandma said, mm-hmm. they're more afraid than you are. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just as afraid as you are, sure. even though we're the ones who don't fit, fit in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who says we don't fit in? You know, I do think it takes that kind of courage. And I, I feel lucky that I do have that courage, that it is a faculty of mine to say like, no, my story, our stories, they matter and they belong. They need to be talked about, you know, whether that's my experience as a a Latinx person or a queer person, but to have that kind of internal fight that says, no, I need to cross my legs with my high heels on and flip my (laughs) hair. And, and be right here, you know. <laughs> I belong too. <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah. yeah, I prove myself. But I'm a, I have to I have to honestly admit that through prayers for my mom and my family that I didn't have I had a I came from a hard life, a hard environment, but I didn't have a hard life. Mm-hmm. You know, I I I had I'm very happy now. I've had good experiences stuff I never thought I'd get to like I've been blessed and I'm most grateful for it um, for opportunities I've had Mm -hmm. sitting from this seat if you could look at 16 year old Jenny do you think that she would need to know anything or do you feel like she has everything she needs to get to where you are no I would tell 16 year old Jenny you know but probably those feelings that you have are real mm. and enjoy them. Um, uh, I could tell another quick story. I, when I was married in my twenties, I had bought my husband playboy magazines, mm-hmm. right. As a gift for Christmas. Mm-hmm. So 10 years later, we're divorced. And I write, I talked to him. I'm like, you know, Benny, I want you to know that I'm bisexual. He's like, yeah. I need, I'm like, no, you didn't know because I'm just telling you right now. Because he was ex-husband, so I had a fight with him. Like, no, you didn't know because I'm just saying it to you now. He's like, no, I knew. Mm-hmm. I'm like, how did you know? He's like, remember those magazines that you bought me for Christmas? Mm-hmm. I go, yeah. Because you enjoyed them as much as I did. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know that that was not normal. Like, sure. I didn't have that point of reference that 
other women wouldn't be looking at it too. Mm -hmm. You know, like I didn't know. Mm -hmm. So I would tell younger Jenny, those feelings are valid that you have and they're okay. And also if there's a younger, younger, anybody who's bisexual, you are just as gay as a gay man. You are just as gay as a lesbian. If you're bisexual, you are also part of the LGBT community. Because I think a lot of bisexuals feel alienated because Mm. of that. So Mm. I would tell 16-year-old Jenny, it's okay to love people. And I think I've told you this before about grandma when I came out to her. And I said, my mom didn't want me to tell grandma. She's like, you're going to break her heart. Because my mom was very into the church you're gonna break her heart she's gonna be so disappointed so I was paranoid to tell grandma that um I was in love with Linda I was so so scared Mm -hmm. so I call her on the phone and I'm like grandma you know my friend Linda she's like yeah I go I love her she goes I love her too she's so sweet Uh I'm like no I'm in love with her Mm -hmm. she's like oh call me back in 15 minutes Mm -hmm. and I'm like okay so I get off the phone I'm like what the heck, you know, <laughs> so I'm waiting 15 minutes <laughs> sure. and I call her back and I'm like, grandma, she's like, you know, I gave it some thought. You just have a lot of love. That's why you like boys and girls. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of love. And that was her response. I thought I was going to die those 15 minutes because <laughs> she's loved my life. And I was like, Oh my God. Uh-huh. But that's what she said is you have a lot of love. So I would tell my younger Jenny or any young bisexual person, you just have a lot of love. That's mm-hmm. all it is. Because of my gayness, I lost like seven years of my life with my mom because mm-hmm. she was really into church and those precious moments, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm glad to hear that. That makes me so happy. Yeah. That my teacher being chismosa. <laughs> helped you work, a little bit work, do it again. <laughs> <laughs> so thankful <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. glad yeah. Yes, absolutely yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah sure. for sure I'm very proud of you Isaac mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very proud of that you're being happy yes yeah I'm yeah. proud of that thank you I do. It's so fascinating now. There have been moments in life where I think like, I'm really happy, but this is one where I feel like um, it's not a season. I feel like I've kind of arrived. That's sweet. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. So you found your space. I did. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And you happen to have a partner who gets to be with you at this time. Yes, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, I know, I don't know if you know this, but um, Joe actually helped me name the clinic. We sat really? down in our little living room when I was in grad school because we dated before. Yeah. And we both sat down and he pulled out a little piece of paper from the printer and he started kind of a little web of like all the words that I was thinking of. And he flipped the paper over and we wrote, I am clinic. And here we are. Wow. Weeks later. Yeah. Full circle. Mm-hmm. So that's nice. Yeah, it's a really special part in my life, but also in the life of the clinic for sure. Well, I want to thank you for having me on and spending some time with me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, it's so fun. Talk too much, but I'm sorry. Oh, it's great. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> 
At I Am Clinic and I Am Council, we hope you're having a great pride. We are here year round, but if you need to process through a challenge or get support for either you or a child, we're here to help. Until then, enjoy your pride celebrations. Now let's get back to the show. I found myself, even as a therapist, stuck in the belief that I was so damaged I would need therapy for the rest of my life. And as the therapy junkie, I needed to find something else broken that needed repair. I was too damaged to be without therapy, right? No. Instead, what I needed to learn about myself was that I am resilient, and so are you. I have spent a lot of time thinking about that 11-year-old with $10 in her pocket, ready to soak up more of the world. Even in a poverty-stricken environment, she found the willpower to create change, not just internal but political changes that impact all of us today. I remember watching Jenny from afar as she married her ex-husband. She wore these really cool big glasses that were hip in the 1980s and early 90s, She was so alive and full of joy. And as I watched her go from college to grad school to law school to the senator's office and then leap into the Obama administration, her footsteps seemed so big. I would ask myself, how can I follow with shoes that seem so meager? But as I've learned time and time again, resilience is not something we produce, like creating physical matter out of nothing. Resilience, I have discovered, is inspired by and formulated with the examples of those who go before us. I needed Jenny's example to know that I would be safe in the professional world as a Latinx gay boy. My first boyfriend was a German immigrant and a very hard worker. I used to call him my sugar daddy because with all of his hard-earned money, he would take me to Europe to visit his family about twice a year. And when I would find myself peering over the streets in Berlin, the statues in Rome, the gondolas in Venice, or the castles in Prague, I would think, if only my cousins could see what I'm seeing. I felt so much gratitude for being able to see so much of the world, and I wanted my cousins to have the same life-changing experience like I was having. And as I observe Jenny's strength, her confidence, and her resilience, I find myself asking, What if I could feel the same type of confidence that Jenny feels? What would I tackle next? What leaps would I take and what barriers would I bust through? And today, in your own situation, in your own context, I want you to ask the same questions. Maybe you find yourself in Texas, Florida, or another state with anti-queer laws, or maybe a religious home that stifles your core essence. Whatever your context, I hope Jenny's example of resilience fuels your next step. Remember, we need one another. One another's stories, examples, and one another's support, especially in political environments like that in the United States at the moment. As Pride season continues to unfold, I truly hope that your resilience blossoms as well. I hope that as you find others' stories, see others' examples, and find similar faces and experiences that you tackle the systemic barriers that keep you stuck. And to today's guest, my dear cousin Jenny, thank you for always being in my corner even when I didn't know you were there. 
Thank you for being proud of me. And thank you for sharing your story with us today because it has encouraged me and I'm sure many others to take bolder steps in places we didn't know we could go. With my high heels on and my sassy hair flip, you continue to encourage me to reach for and become more. I love you mucho, mucho. Until next time. Queer Relation Tips is a podcast sponsored by IM Clinic, a counseling practice devoted to the LGBTQ plus community with in-person and virtual counseling options available. IM Clinic, create the love lives and relationships you crave. Find us online on Instagram at LGBTQ underscore therapy and Facebook at IM Clinic. That's I-A-M Clinic.